0: Well, we continue in our look at Proverbs, and tonight we come to Proverbs 18, and at verse 10. Again, a very famous and prominent verse in Proverbs, uh, verses 10 to 12, rather. Uh, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his uh, imagination before destruction a man's heart is haughty but humility comes before honor well this this evening's uh, text is much like what we were thinking about this morning as uh, the names of Jesus figured prominently in the book of revelation in the early chapters in the letters to the churches i am the first and the last i am he who was dead and is alive uh, the names of Jesus are just multiplied again and again in the book of Revelation uh, to a church that needs to put their hope and trust in the name of the Lord. This is the only place in Proverbs where the phrase, the name of the Lord, occurs. And uh, what he's laying out here in these really two Proverbs, in verses 10 and 11, is the uh, places where people, are, are inclined to find safety. There's safety in only... Uh, it, it, people find, seek to find safety in one of two places, in themselves or in the Lord. And so we have discussed uh, uh, many times before about the name of the Lord. And we know that it's not just a title for God, but that it describes God's power. And in, so- in Exodus chapter 20, uh, 34, uh, in uh, verse 5 to 7, uh, this is what God makes known to um, Moses. He doesn't, in- tell us in- he-, he doesn't inject Moses with extra power. He simply tells him his name. And so in verse 5, it said, The Lord descended in a cloud and stood before him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so that was the key idea for the children of Israel as they thought about the name of God. It's God's revelation in all his characteristics. His goodness, his grace, and his mercy uh, then become their defense and their shield. Psalm 18 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And we we just sang that. My God, my strength in whom I trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Isn't it wonderful that that the, the psalmist can look around at the world in which he lives and say, God is like that. God is like that. It's just the manifold glory of God. He can see the world at its best and say, my God is like that. He can look at the mountains. He can look at a high tower. He can look at a mighty fortress. Uh, He can look at a well-put-together shield. Uh, All of these things he can say, my God is like that. That comes from a very uh, intimate knowledge and experience of God. He he could confess that he went through so many different experiences, and yet in those experiences, God was true to him. He found God to come through for him in every situation. And so the, uh, the psalmist says, some will boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. That takes a lot of doing to say that. Especially when we're inclined... To lean on things, aren't we? We're inclined to lean on money. We're inclined to lean on people. uh, uh, We're inclined to lean on many, many different things. But the, the true Israelite says, some boast in chariots, some in horses. Now that was everything to the society in which the psalmist lived. To have chariots, to have horses. It was such a temptation for David at one time that he numbered the fighting men of Israel. Uh, to see just where his strength lies, to see how well equipped they are to go up against the enemy. And of course, we know what happened. God sent a plague against uh, Israel for a, a period of time. And uh, David had to learn that lesson and come back to what Psalm 20 says, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. I want you to think about that for a second. That's not just poet Poetry. That's not just religious language. But that's how the, the, the Israelite felt. Uh, he, th- you think of some of the uh, pivotal moments in the history of Israel uh, at the Red Sea. What was their hope in? What did God bring them to? They, they, they had the sea on one side and the, Isra- the Egyptians coming after them on the other side. Where was their hope? Their hope was in God. Moses said, stand still and behold the salvation of the Lord. And then on the other side, they saw the, the, the uh, chariot wheels and the uh, Egyptians and all, all sorts of people and different things washing up on the shore of the Red Sea. And so it wasn't just religious language. It was something that they lived out. It was something that they could see with their own eyes. It was something that they could test. In an experiential way. When David went up against Goliath, he says, you come to me. You, Goliath, come to me with spears and swords, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, of the armies of Israel whose name you've defied. So, there were other countless examples. David, when he went out to fight his battles, did so in the name of the Lord. Uh, he knew that every battle he fought was the Lord's doing. Uh, when the children of Israel marched around Jericho, what brought those walls down? What gave them the victory? Even the, the, the people. Was a, was a person like Rahab the prostitute, she said, we know it's your God that's doing it. We can't stand before this God. And so it was ingra- it was to be ingrained in the people. So what the writer of Proverbs is saying here was that, that this ought not to be anything new to us as a community of people. That, uh, that while some boast in chariots and some in horses, the very best that they, the world could marshal, yet the hope of Israel and the hope of the church is never in buildings, it's never in how much money they've got in the bank account, it's never in any of these things, it's not in how theologically clever we are. Uh, it, I, 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 I was struck this morning as I was thinking through it, and and uh, I, I turned on my computer and I was thanking God for the resources that I had on my computer, and the software, and the books, and all the rest of it, and it's truly... Uh, a wonderful thing to possess a, a, a great library right at your fingertips, and we can go online and and do that and and yet the, the the people that were used of God in such powerful ways had very little resources in the past. Thomas Boston had a few books I, I bet you you could put the books that Thomas Boston owned on this pulpit. he had very little. And the kingdom of God has gone ahead by people who are often illiterate. Now, on the one hand, I can thank God for all the resources I have. But on the other hand, uh, I cannot trust in my commentaries. I can't trust in my Bible software. I can't trust in any of those things for the work of the church or the work of the ministry of the word to be successful. It's got to be, and this is where our shared effort comes in as a church. It's not one person. It's all of us praying together because our hope for revival, our hope for growth, both personally and numerically or however God wants to bless us, must come from Him. Uh, You look at the history of revivals. And it was often not through the people who were at the forefront of revivals. It was people in the background who were praying. Uh, you've often heard of the Lewis Revival in the late 40s and the early 50s. And it was you could there's a famous picture if you go on YouTube of Duncan Campbell uh, with two little old ladies with scarfs around their head, uh, and they they were praying day and night for revival on the Isle of Lewis. And this was the case in the Welsh Revival and many other places. People just saw the need and they said, look, if anything is going to happen, our hope and our help is in the name of the Lord. And this is how uh, the the psalmist uh, viewed it. That the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Some boast in chariots, some in horses but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. The name of the Lord is so important. It was important when Jesus was named. You remember the angel spoke to Joseph and said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The names are multiplied. And it is in that revelation of Jesus as Savior, the name Jesus means Savior, that we are able now to come into it and find help in it. So Peter says uh, in the early chapters of Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of God. It speaks of His salvation. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. It speaks of His incarnation. The name Emmanuel means God with us. We are are saved in that intimate relationship that God has with His people. As we've been seeing in the early chapters of Revelation, God walking among the, 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 the candlesticks. Emmanuel, God with us. And even in the passages that we were looking at the, this morning, I am the first and the last, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So that the people of Smyrna, for example, that we were thinking about today, were to find refuge in that. It find refuge rather than being overwhelmed with the beauty of Smyrna and the wealth of the uh, surrounding culture and be swept away or enticed by that or be overwhelmed by the, uh, uh, the persecution of the Roman culture and the Jewish culture around them, they, they could look to the name of the Lord which says, I am the first and I am the last. Come and rest in that. Come and find your hope in that. That everything that's going on in your life, not only in world affairs, but world affairs are made up of people's lives. We're not just talking about political movements across the world. It's made, World events are made up of individual people's lives with real struggles, with real hurts, with real fears. And into that, the name of the Lord comes as a, a, a comfort for us. And so, uh, he says here in verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a strong tower. That many of these towns had towers. Uh, in, in Scotland, for example, and again on the Isle of Lewis, there is a, 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 a structure called the uh, Carloway Brock. And it, was, it, was, it remains from Viking times. It's been slightly reconstructed. But when the Vikings would come down, as they often did from Scandinavia along uh, the coast of Scotland, the people would see them and run into these stone oval shaped uh, structures uh, to escape the Vikings. And it was to be like what it was like in Israel. When an invading party would come, there was the local strong tower that the people would run into and be safe from the invading army. But again, when we went through the Psalms of Ascent, you remember. Uh, the, the, the psalmist was saying, uh, celebrating the city of uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, she is a city well put together. But ultimately, the psalmist would say, no, the Lord is her defense. If the Lord does not build the house, the laborers labor in vain. If the Lord does not keep the city, the watchers watch in vain. You see what he was saying? He was saying, no amount of ramparts and walls and structures or money or influence or connections or whatever we may celebrate in this life can save us if the Lord is not with us. But in the name of the Lord we find refuge. That is to be the tenor of uh, us as a church and you and I as individual Christians to say I can't lean on external things. My hope as a christian as someone who has been supernaturally born again supernaturally saved i must live supernaturally as well and seek my peace from god does that mean we can't use the things of this world no does that mean we throw away our medication or throw away uh, uh, you know uh, the thing the good gifts that god has given to us in medical community, and so on. Not at all. But it does mean that we turn to the Lord first and foremost as our tower of strength and safety. That's where we go first. And so he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation in Psalm 27. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And particularly in the, in the matter of in, in spiritual matters, we're all tempted to make a fortress uh, out of things that we can see because we are very visual people. Uh, we look to things that we can handle and see and touch. And it's a very scary thing to act on things that you cannot see. But especially when it comes to our salvation the name of the Lord is preeminent. In Jeremiah 23, it says, this is the name that he shall be called. In other words, the Messiah who comes, when he comes, he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. In, In other words, we find refuge in the fact that I have no righteousness of my own. What do you do when you come face to face with what Paul says, when I go to do good, evil is present with me. The things I want to do, I don't. And the things I do are the things I hate. I mean, that, what, where do you go with something like that before a holy God? You go here. Jeremiah prophesied it 700 years before Jesus came. Five, 600 years before Jesus came. He said, He will be called, the Messiah will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Setenu, that was His name. And we find refuge as we run into that and we say, I have no righteousness of my own. When I go to do good, there's evil there. When I go to pray, I'm besieged with straying thoughts. When I go to give, I, I find myself proud of what I give and what I do. Everything I do is tainted with sin. So where do we go with that? There's an urgency. We run into that high tower, which is called, in this instance, the Lord our righteousness. We run into it. We come into a sense of the danger of our own conscience, our own existence. And how do we do that? How do we run into this strong tower? We don't have a physical tower, do we? No, but we have things like faith and prayer. Right now, you could be running into that tower. You're just sitting in your pew. You could be maybe struggling with uh, 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 some issue in your life, some temptation or some, some thing that has gripped your heart and mind, some fear. And even where we sit, though we are not physically going anywhere, we can be running into a high tower and say, Lord, I thank you again in hearing from your word that Jesus is my righteousness, that I don't have to be perfect that though I fail a hundred times a week, yet I can still find safety and security. Like coming in from the storm. We know, we know what that, that's like, don't we? We've, we've been driving out on a, in a stormy night through banks maybe and it's, it's windy and you're just not sure if you're going to get home safely. And then you finally pull in the driveway, you go in and you go inside where there's no wind and no snow and you're, you're safe and secure suppers on the table, all sorts of wonderful things that we associate with, with our home. And we're safe. We may climb into our beds, have a shower, and we're off to bed, and we pull the covers over, and we are uh, uh, safe and secure. This is how God wants His children to feel about Him and why He talks about the glory of His name in so many occasions. And so when we pray, we are running in to that strong tower. When we exercise faith, we are running into that strong tower. When we plead for mercy and forgiveness, we are coming into that strong tower. When we are saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we are coming into that strong tower. But that's the thing, we must come. We can't just look at it. We can't just think about it. We have to act on it. I shall not want. The, the, the psalmist is making a conscious decision. saying, if this is the way God is, then I will, by His grace, try to put all worry aside. I will not fear what man can do to me. You see, there's always a, respo- a willing response on the part of the believer to the declaration of God. When the angel comes to Mary and says to her that she will bear the Son of God, she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. There's always got to be a response from us to make that decision to say, I will not want. I will lay me down and sleep and I will wake for the Lord will sustain me. So we come into that strong tower. The greatest urgency, of course, is the urgency of sin. And in a very paradoxical way, we are fleeing from God to God, aren't we? That's the, that's the, uh, the great paradox of the Christian faith. God says, flee the wrath to come. Whose wrath? We're fleeing God. More so than any army or poverty or friendlessness or any other enemy in this world. We're running from God to God. We're running from His wrath into the name of His Son. Come unto Me. And so He becomes for us that strong tower from His own wrath. And so one of the most famous ways in which Paul describes our relationship with Christ is in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, it's like you're inside something. You're inside a strong tower from which you find refuge from the storm. We're safe from His, as one person has called it, His avenging justice. From the curse of His law. From sin. From condemnation. And from the second death that we spoke about this morning. The second death of eternal damnation. And the name of the Lord is that for us. And if He is concerned with our salvation, is God not concerned with every other aspect of our lives? Paul says, wait a minute. If He did not spare His only Son, will He not also, along with Him, not freely give us all things that pertain to our lives? Is He just going to carve out a little piece called your salvation or your soul and say, well, I'm not really concerned about all these other matters that are going on in your life. Can we really say that about God? Not at all. We must realize that, in, uh, that, that, that the name of the Lord extends to more than just the things of our soul, but it extends to our lives. Now, how that is worked out that's up to God. That's, but he never sees his children going without. He may, even as we saw this morning with the church in Smyrna, put them through a time of testing. He says to them, you will be, some of you will be thrown in prison, some put to death. You will go through suffering and tribulation. But I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and is now alive. And in the light of eternity, these things are small. So we, we, can, we can't compartmentalize God into one thing. And of course, he, comp- he contrasts that with the rich man. So in verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. I think the writer of Proverbs is looking beyond more than simply wealth here. He's simply contrasting two ways of salvation. There is self-salvation, and there is salvation in the Lord. You don't have to be a rich man for this to apply to you. It can be people who live very average lives but have grown up in the church and maybe put their trust in church membership or in the fact that they were baptized or in the fact that they are uh, uh, very diligent in the things of, of church. We can put our trust in that. We can, we can look to the, the riches of our external um, of religious observances. Our Sabbath keeping, or we're very particular about uh, being very moral in lots of different ways, which is all very good. But it can be a means of self-justification, like the rich young ruler. Well, he was rich in more ways than just simply wealth, wasn't he? He was rich in his self-righteousness. Jesus says, You know the commandments. You shall not kill, you shall not steal, honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept. I'm a very moral person. I keep the Sabbath day. I, I, I acknowledge only one God. I have never killed anyone. I've honored my father and mother. I've done all these things. What more do I need? He said, He was very rich. And in his imagination, he thought, I'm good to go. Jesus in one fell swoop just blows that out of the water by showing him that he is a sinner. He is, he is a, an idolater because he did not want to give up his money and follow Jesus as an act of faith. And so you don't have to be a, a J.D. Rockefeller for this to apply to you. People can be rich in their own self-righteousness. But there's nothing real to it. It says, like a high wall in his imagination. We need to remember what is real. That Jesus has come to tell us what is real. And the Bible gives us a window into where our true security lies. And it lies in the name of the Lord which has been revealed. It's not we, some might come along and object, well, yours is just imagination as well. The rich man has an imagination, but you religious people have an imagination. You're concocting all this in your mind. But how often have we looked at the historical reliability of the scriptures? Jesus died according to the scriptures. In other words, He was prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years in many different places and in many different ways. There is the name of the Lord, the wisdom of God, and the power of God revealed in Scripture that those same Scriptures are fulfilled in Christ. You move on then to the historical reality of His resurrection and you see the power of God. And that, uh, we, we, we went over this so many times when, uh, when we looked at the last few chapters of Matthew and all the ways in which scholars have tried to overthrow the resurrection and have come back and say no, this movement called Christianity can be nothing less than the product of the power of God. Not only the power of God, but it contains the wisdom of God. Because He made a way to save His people without brushing sin under the carpet. But more than that, it shows the love of God that He would put His own Son on that cross for unworthy sinners. Is it imagination? The rich man who is rich in his wealth or rich in his self-righteousness, however you want to look at it. Rich people think sometimes that they're uh, 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 undefeatable. And many of the Jews even thought that riches were a, 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 a blessing from God and that God was looking down on them with great favor. And people who are in a habit of solving all their problems through life We'll do the same. Well, I'm about to die. Well, maybe I should give a million dollars to the local charity. Write out a check. There you go. My name will be on that building, of course, won't it? Oh, yeah. God will see it from heaven. And you'll have a place in the kingdom of heaven. See, they do that. They put their name, their trust in their own name, their own will. Many mafia bosses used to do that. Give a million dollars to the church just before they die. But is our hope only imagination? No, it is not. We have the testimony of history. We have the testimony of Scripture to say that the true and living God has revealed His holy name in the and space and we're here tonight not because we have a blind faith but we have a faith grounded on Scripture and on history we have a faith that says that which was from the beginning which we have seen which we have heard which we have handled the word of life he was manifested and we have seen him right He was seen by over 500 people at one time, many of whom are still living. The name of the Lord is our strong tower. It's not our imagination. He acted in space and time. And it is for that reason that we have hope tonight. And He will not see us go without. He will not let us fall by the wayside. We have seen, we know, we believe in the name of the Lord that it is a strong tower. In our salvation, we have looked at the Scriptures. We say, here's the wisdom of God, the truth of God, the power of God. In the cross, we see the love of God, that... that, that He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. That He is truly Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. He is truly Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. It is not our imagination. And in that, we can turn to the Lord each and every day as God's people, as the righteous, and run into it where we are, where we sit. Lord, I run into You today. I hope in Your mercy. I hope in Your grace. I hope in Your forgiveness. I hope in the fact that Jesus is my righteousness today. I hope in the fact that You are Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides and in this situation. You will provide for us as a church, as families, as individuals. Every day we are called to run into the name of the Lord. Have you done that then? Are you like the rich? Maybe rich in practice, rich in habit, religious but not saved as old Perry Rockwood used to say? Are you simply standing outside and looking at the fortress? Yes, maybe admiring how wonderful it is as many historians have done with Jesus. Even going so far as to say he was the greatest man who ever lived. Admired by Gandhi and Napoleon and many countless people down through history. Oh, they've looked at this person, Jesus, and they say, very impressive. But they did not run into him They did not come into Him by faith. They did not seek refuge from the wrath of God by believing in Him. And many people who sit in churches are like that. They will come to tears over uh, hearing the story of Jesus' birth or Jesus' death or all these sorts of things, but ultimately they never actually come in and say He's not just a Savior. He is my Savior. And I have come in And I am now feeling the warmth. And I am feeling the security of the walls and the ramparts. I am touching all of these things. And I feel safe. I feel warm. I feel full. I am able now to look out and see my enemies out there and know that in Christ I am altogether safe. That's what the child of God feels. They're able to touch and handle. They're able to go to the Lord's table and take up the bread and the wine as we'll do next week. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Take it. Drink it. Find safety and security in it. Know that I am your fortress and high tower. Well, let's pray. Help us, Lord each and every day, sometimes, Lord, we confess that we run into other things that we try to find security in. And while we thank you, O Lord, for the means of modern technology and all the many blessings that we have as a modern society, Lord, help us ultimately to know that the work of salvation and the work of providence is done by you. And we must look to you. We must lean on you and hope in you each and every day. We thank You that You are our high tower. And I pray that You would be that high tower for each and every one of us tonight. That we would not simply look outside, standing at the door, but that we would come in and feel and know the safety and security of who You are. In Jesus' name, Amen.